now. Atena tata katoa hui maina itene ata. Greetings to all of you who have gathered here this morning. I'll begin our web conference this morning with a karakia. Unuhia te po po purimanama. Pomakia te ao ao patikana sana. Tata kironga, tata kirara, tata aperau. Humia uie taiki. Well, I'm Andrew, the Learns Field Trip teacher. Welcome to our first Field Trip Web Conference for Waste Not Wasted, the Science of Waste at Cape Valley Landfill. Next to me is Rangi Lord, and you are the Regional Manager, Regional Manager for Trans Waste Canterbury. So great to have Rangi with us this morning. And we're also joined by some friends. Here's Eddie DeFeel, the Field Trip Ambassador. We've got Snowball. Uh, we've got Creeps from Upper Harbour School. We've got Ivan from Oteha Valley School, I think. And our speaking school this morning is Waitakere School, and this is Rupert from Waitakere. So Rupert was actually waiting for us in Amberley when we arrived yesterday, and all the rest of the ambassadors travelled with us uh, from Kitty Kitty, two flights, one down to Auckland, then one from Auckland to Christchurch, and then we drove up to Amberley. So you can check out my travel diary if you want to have a look at the images from our travel day yesterday. Um, so probably the same wherever you are in the country at the moment. It's The weather's fine and it's very warm. Wind seems to be dropping a little bit up here because I know, Rangi, that operations will actually close down if it gets too windy. So um, we want to show you what goes on in the landfill today, so hopefully it doesn't get too windy. Um, so look, welcome to all of you who have joined us this morning. Great to have this interest. Uh, we've got our speaking school this morning, so a special welcome to Waitakere School as well. And once we have our formal part of the web conference, which is Waitakere's questions, we will hopefully have some time uh, following that to, to answer some more questions that you We'll be able to post in the chat pod. I can't guarantee we'll have time to answer all of them, but we'll see how we go. But let's get underway with our speaking school's questions. So Waitakere, can we have question number one, please? And just a reminder, if you can introduce yourself with your first name, so we know who we're speaking with, and uh, nice and close to the microphone. Question number one, please. Kia ora. Ko Bensoko Ingawa, this is my question. How was the Cape Valley landfill created? Morning, Ben. Kia ora, Ben. Kia ora. Look, back in uh, the late 1990s uh, in Canterbury here, they started to look for a site for a large regional landfill for the region, for the whole area. Uh, there used to be 50 little dumps spread throughout Canterbury. Uh, and so this project started looking for a regional landfill and Cape Valley ended up being that um, facility. Uh, we started building the landfill in 2004 and started taking our first waste here in June 2005. The landfill's owned by uh, five councils, the five large councils around the region here that send their waste to Cape Valley, along with the company I work for, which is um, Waste Management New Zealand. Uh, I think that probably covers it. Do you have any other? No, well, that's, that's fine. Yep. So I think the interesting part was that, you know, you had those five different landfills 
Um, and plus five 50. There were 50. Oh, sorry, sorry. 50, 50 we, we from five different areas. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so taking 50 individual anvils and creating one central one. So that, that's really the guts of it there. And a much better system now, of course, as you'll find out this week. Thank you very much for starting us off with that, Ben. Uh, we'll move on to question two, please. Hi, my name is Michaela, and this is my question. What is the difference between Cape Valley landfill and other New Zealand landfills? Morning, Michaela. Look, that's a good question. Uh, in many respects, we're very similar to uh, most of the other big modern landfills in New Zealand. There is probably one key difference with Cape Valley, and that is that the waste that uh, the way the waste is hauled to Cape Valley is is a little different. All of the rubbish that comes to Cape Valley are in large containers, so they're big containers that get pulled off and on the truck. So the truck and trailers that bring the waste here simply bring the full bins in, put them on the ground, and then go to the next load. Uh, on site here, we have trucks that empty all of those bins. Uh, all other landfills, um, generally all the truck and trailers go right down to the tip face and they tip all the rubbish off um, actually in the landfill. This is separated somewhat, so we have our transport system and landfill operating a little bit differently. Very modern landfills though, we, we do all of the good things like capture gas and leachate and uh, manage the waste uh, very safely from an environmental view. Yeah, and you'll find out today we're going to explore a bit more about uh, that process of the, the transportation of waste in those bins and then how those bins are offloaded and taken into the landfill on a separate unit and then what happens to it after that. So you'll get, by tomorrow you'll see the video of that whole process in action. Thanks, Michaela. Let's move on to Batakari's question number three. Hi, my name is Ben and this is my question. How much rubbish goes to the landfill in a day and how much rubbish has gone into the Cape Valley landfill since it was first developed? In our clue, Ben. Um, good questions. So on average, we get about 1,200 tonnes per day of rubbish that comes from the Canterbury region of Cape Valley. Uh, that's about 6,000 tonnes a week. Uh, we do... Um, transport waste on weekends as well, but overall is about 6,000 tonnes uh, per week coming into the landfill, which currently is around 300,000 tonnes per annum every year. Um, it goes up and down, the volumes of waste that come into landfill uh, vary from time to time, depending on economic activity and building and all sorts of other things. Uh, and to date at Cape Valley, we have something close to 4.3 million tonnes. Uh, so we've been running 14 and a half years and we've had 4.3 million tonnes. So if you divide 4.3 by 14.5 years, you'll get how much the average is for every year. Yeah, that's maths taken care of today. You've got a, bit of, <laughs> a few numbers there to, to sort through and um, you could even do things like um, factor in the population of the area and Obviously, some waste is household and some waste is industrial and, and commercial, but um, you know you could still work out some averages. Yeah, that's a good point. We we take waste from about five hundred thousand, about half a million people. Um, so look, if you compare that to the likes of Auckland, they have several million people up there um, that have to dispose of their waste. We we deal with about five hundred thousand. 
Thanks, Ben. Was it? That wasn't the same Ben, was it? Another Ben. Different Ben. Different Ben. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Number two, and now we're up to question four, please. Kiora Maxi Tuku Ingoa. This is my question. What do you do at Cape Valley to make sure that recyclable waste is not transferred to the landfill? Got a Maxi. More than a Maxi. Look, by the time the waste gets to Cape Valley, generally all of the sorting has already been done. Most of the recyclables, or all of the recyclables that can be taken out um, have already been done. So we, we take a little bit of, um, recover a little bit of steel and some materials here at Cape Valley, but generally by the time the waste gets to landfill, it's already been sorted and the recyclables have been taken out. And what I can add to that is that Canterbury is really, really good at um, removing all the recyclable materials, removing green waste. Um, they have a very good um, system in Christchurch City for, for separating all of those waste streams. Um, if we do start to see um, recyclable material coming through, we'll often go back to the, um, the councils and say, look, there appears to be more of this waste in the stream and could they look um, closer at trying to remove it before it gets to landfill. When Rangi says waste in the stream, he doesn't mean river. <laughs> you call a waste stream a line of how it goes to one, yes. one place to the other. Yes, that's right. It's nothing at all to do with waterways. <laughs> waste stream, yeah. Um, so that's good to know. Yeah, I mean, you've got, there are some good systems I've seen on, on different bins with different colours. So the system of recycling and, and landfill waste is, is quite, quite well, you know, understood. Um, so that's really good to know. Thank you, Maxie. We'll move on to question five, please, from Waitakere School. Hi, my name is Neve and this is my question. Where does all the waste go once it's in the landfill? And what does the waste do? Good question. Is it Meg, is it? Neve. Oh, okay, Neve. Um, all of the waste is brought to landfills in the big, in the big bins we spoke of earlier on. When it arrives here, it's, it's spread out and compacted so that we're trying to maximise how much waste gets put into this valley. We want to make it as dense as we can. So we have big machinery that compacts it. Um, over time, um, various things happen in uh, the waste pile within the landfill. Probably the most significant one is the decomposition of organic material, which creates gas. And it also creates leachate, which is a liquid that flows out um, through the bottom of the um, waste. Um, that liquid is captured on the liner that we have beneath the landfill, so nothing actually gets into the ground. So organic materials break down into um, methane being one of the main gases, and we actually extract those gases, particularly methane, and we use it to generate electricity by putting it through our, our big generators. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the, um, in the, in the program. So, good question, Neve. So there's a whole other sort of science behind how things decompose and um, it decomposes organic waste that is and it, it decomposes by something um, called bacteria. So you could look up a bit more about, you know, when, when a tree falls down, uh, when, when an animal dies, uh, how, what happens to that. So anything that's like a natural um, piece of rubbish, whether it's from a plant or animal, 
um, will eventually decompose. And you can find out a bit more about that process and how 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 that um, generates gas. So it's really interesting. Another great question. Thank you, Neve. And uh, we're up to question number six, similar sort of following on from question five. Question six. Hi, my name is Opal, and this is my question. What types of waste can't decompose, and why? Hi, Opal. Um, a lot of the, the, the wastes are quite obvious, which those that don't decompose, the likes of plastics, um, bricks and ceramics, um, some textiles don't decompose, some artificial materials, which I guess is similar to plastics. Uh, and we do get quite a, a significant uh, amount of those materials into landfill every year. Um, plastics are probably the, the real nasties out there, and we, we are all seeing uh, a much greater awareness about the negative aspects of plastic in our environment. So I guess what I can say is that when plastics and these sorts of materials end up in a landfill, we can at least be uh, confident that it's not going to end up out in the environment, out in our waterways and in the oceans and things like that. It's well contained here, uh, we'll never, um, never escape into the environment. Um, we try to minimise those sorts of materials coming to landfill, and I think as time goes by, we'll see less and less coming to landfill. And so Opal sort of wanted to know why these materials don't decompose. I mean, they're, they're, a lot of them are made so that they don't. That's right. It's um, Plastics, just the, the nature of the material means that they um, do not break down to their basic um, elements, which, which means they pretty much stick around forever. Mm. And even if you get plastic that breaks down, sometimes it just goes into smaller bits, but it's mm -hmm. still, still there. Thanks, Opal. We'll move on to question seven. Hi my, Hi, my name is Sam, and this is my question. Why does the rubbish give off toxic chemicals? Hello, Sam. Yeah, that's another good question. Um, a lot of the rubbish does um, give off toxic chemicals, as you call them, as they decompose or break down in landfill. Um, we have very strict limits uh, at Cape Valley and in all landfills, all the modern landfills in New Zealand, about how toxic these materials can be. We are not allowed to accept um, wastes that are too toxic for the environment, particularly, and for the landfill here. So those um, guidelines are, are prescribed by the Ministry for the Environment. So we monitor all of the waste coming into landfill to make sure that we're not getting too much toxic material. Um, but I guess some of the things that we do get coming out of our um, gas, for example, are things like a gas called hydrogen sulfide, um, H2S. It's a dangerous gas. Uh, there are other very, very small quantities of other dangerous um, gases that come through as well. Uh, we have instruments to detect these things so that our staff are safe. Uh, and you do get some contaminants, some chemicals coming out of the leachate in the base of the landfill as well. We capture all of that leachate and we treat it or we send it off for disposal um, at sewage treatment plants usually and it gets processed with all the um, wastewater from the cities. And all of that um, dangerous gas is, um, is basically burnt. That's right. But, so, but at such a high temperature, that destroys it, it. it destroys it and doesn't emit anything else. Yeah. 
we'll talk about that a little mm. further along. Awesome stuff, Sam. Thank you. And question eight now, Waitakere. Um, kia ora, my name is Alyssa and this is my question. Is all the waste at Cape Valley completely contained and can any of it escape into the environment? I, I, I partly answered that question last time, but a, a good one. Um, when I talked about plastic before, basically everything that comes into Cape Valley is compacted and covered. So it's, it's placed on top of the liner. So there's a big plastic liner system beneath the landfill. So nothing gets out into this, the ground beneath. And then ultimately we cover over the top of the landfill with soil. Uh, and in the end, we'll have between one and a half and two meters of thick soil over the top of the landfill. So to answer your question, um, nothing will get out of Cape Valley unless we actually go in and dig it out. And um, it'll be there for as long as it takes to decompose. Um, some of those materials don't, however, and they'll stay there forever. Yeah, so we'll learn more about the landfill liner and there'll be a video about that tomorrow, which, which makes sure that nothing escapes. But there's also measures that Cape Valley take that we'll also learn about this week which is just testing to make sure that there's, you know, just the possibility that might be a breach in the liner and things, something, you know, something is escaping. They test the groundwater around the landfill to make sure that, um, that nothing like that's happening. Thanks, Alyssa. And question number nine now. Hi, my name is Kyle and this is my question. Why can't the rubbish be burnt in a massive oven and turned into something else? Kia Kyle. That's another very good question. The, um, in different parts of the world, they do actually incinerate waste, rubbish. Uh, it, it probably is not so suitable for New Zealand, however. Um, some of those countries that do incinerate, burn the waste, are, tend to be in colder climates, for example, up in northern Europe, up in Scandinavia, where they actually incinerate rubbish, they generate electricity and they also generate heat, which they use for heating water around their cities. Uh, the other thing uh, that I would have to say about incineration in New Zealand, why it doesn't work well here, is you need lots and lots of waste. It's generally used in, in, in or near cities with huge populations. If there was one place in New Zealand that they could possibly incinerate waste, it would be just out of Auckland. But uh, from my knowledge of that type of waste disposal, uh, it's probably not big enough in Auckland even to do it. Uh, we have plenty of land in New Zealand and um, where we can safely contain these materials for the moment. Um, incineration works at very high temperature and it destroys all of the um, the nasty materials in the waste. However, you do end up still having ash out the bottom. So about 10% of the waste is still there at the end as a concentrated ash. And so what's done with that? That ends up going into a landfill, right. but generally a landfill that's um, more stringent than Cape Valley because the toxicity the, of the waste is much more concentrated. Mm. All right, gosh, that's really interesting. Hey, thanks, Kyle. And uh, we're up to Waitakere School's question, the final question this morning, number 10. Kia ora, my name is Alyssa, and this is my question. How long is Cape Valley going to last, and what will happen when, when once Cape Valley is full? Hi, 
Um, Cape Valley, uh, when we first opened the landfill, it was granted what we call resource consents. Uh, and that was back in 2003. And as I mentioned earlier, we started building the landfill in 2004 and opened in June 2005. Um, resource consents in New Zealand have a maximum period of 35 years. So from 2005 to 2040 is how long our current consents are at Cape Valley. And it just so happens that we're probably going to be, um, we'll have filled the valley by 2040. Um, so beyond 2040, we have an obligation to take care of the landfill. It will be closed, it will be kept. So we put up to two metres of soil over the top, the gas off the landfill, because that keeps going even after we, we stop bringing the waste into the landfill. And we will be um, extracting and treating leachate until it um, is no longer toxic or that it stops producing leachate. So uh, 2040 is when Cape Valley is going to be full, but we will carry on for potentially 30 to 40 years after that, um, monitoring and taking care of everything. All right, thanks. So this is looking a lot fuller than when I was here last time, Rangi, but I guess that's quite um, expected given those numbers, the, you know, the tons of waste going into the landfill on a weekly basis. Well, in a moment, there'll be an opportunity to put further questions to Rangi. We've got some time to answer extra questions from our listening schools, but first of all, thank you to Rangi for your time this morning and giving your answer to some fantastic questions from our speaking school. Big thanks to Waitakere School. You guys did a really good job. I love the way you introduced yourself so clearly and asked your questions as well, that were well thought out. Um, if at all you need to go because it's time up for you guys, you've got other things to do, just feel free to drop out of the web conference at any time. Um, we will give a big roundup at the end where you get to say a big goodbye uh, together. Um, and of course, this web conference is recorded, so you can listen to it again. There will be a recording up on the web conferences page later. So, um, and if you do need to go, just a reminder also that our live stream for the web conference will begin again tomorrow at 9.15. So, Namahi Nui, that brings a formal part of our web conference to an end. Um, I will just hand things back to Barry briefly so he can just talk you through the process of posting questions. Thanks very much, Andrew and Rangi and Watakari. So people have already found the chat pod down the bottom. So if you scroll your mouse to the very bottom, you'll see a little thing called chat and it looks like a speech bubble. You click it, pops up, and you can pop your extra questions in there. We already have a couple. So, so the first one, uh, Lincoln. Yes. School. Yep. So, yeah, a question from Lincoln. Lincoln of Harvard <laughs> School. What was there before the Cape Valley landfill was made? Uh, hi, Lincoln. Basically, this uh, was part of a farm in the property, so it's a natural valley. Uh, one of the good things about Cape Valley and the um, geology here, which is the soil types and, and the, the, the makeup of this country, is that it is about two to three hundred metres deep of siltstone beneath us, which is very low permeability and ideal for um, containment of, of things like landfill waste. Um, so this was a farm. Transwaste Canterbury ended up uh, looking for a site throughout Canterbury for a, for a new landfill, regional landfill, and found this farm. Had to buy the whole farm, have subsequently sold off much of the farm, and there was a, 
an organic farming company that um, have stock and they manage the farm around us now. They, they bought it and worked with us. Uh, we still own a fair bit of the property and they lease some of the balance of that property. So it was a farm originally. Uh, there were sheep and cattle on the property, a little bit of gorse. Um, a lot of that is being cut back. And we are also now um, planting a lot more natives around the area as well. Uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about it during this uh, program this year, but we have a, a scenic reserve called Tiramoana Bush that you might be interested in looking at. Yeah, so there's a page on the website uh, called the Cape Valley Biodiversity Projects, or it could be Tiramoana Bush, I can't quite remember, but it's about that project. And in actual fact, we came here last year and did a field trip called Ecological Restoration with the, um, the guy that kind of spearheaded the whole restoration projects, David Norton. And so you can go and check out that uh, field trip and see some of the great work that's happening in the surrounding area of Tiramoana Bush. And there's a really neat walk. If you're ever in the area, there's a great walk out to the coast with a viewing platform. I bet the views are good today, but mm, it's really lovely out there. Thanks for that, guys. Um, so there's a really interesting question, thinking about that incineration process of rubbish. Why don't we just send out our rubbish to countries that do incinerate? Yeah, you've got some really good questions today. Um, in parts, I mentioned earlier on that they do incinerate in some cities in, in Europe, particularly up in Northern Europe and Scandinavia. Now, those countries have high, huge populations and they're all relatively near to each other. So the logistics, the, the moving and transit for them. If you think about New Zealand, we're right at the bottom of the world, a long way from China, a long way from Europe. Uh, it would just be too expensive to actually ship all of our waste off uh, across the other side of the world, just too far. So uh, another thing that I guess you guys might be looking at is the so-called carbon footprint. So actually calculating how much carbon is used to actually move things around the world as well. So for New Zealand, we're better off trying to dispose of it here. There are some really nasty wastes, a small amount, that actually do get shipped off overseas. Uh, but by and large, it's easier to contain it and um, deal with it in New Zealand. And with that incineration process, Ben just wants to know, doesn't that let off the toxic gas as well if, if it's burned? Um, what happens with these incineration plants, and I think I mentioned it earlier on, is they burn at very, very high temperatures. Uh, and those temperatures pretty well destroy all of the nasty uh, elements in the gas. You do still, however, end up with about 10% of the, the waste, the solid waste, left in the base of the incinerator. So landfills will not go away completely. You'll still have about one-tenth of the, the volumes of the waste that got burnt to deal with at the bottom, and uh, they have to go into um, managed landfills and well-constructed landfills. So with the gases, this is from uh, Alyssa, how do you collect the gas, all, you know, all the gas, the toxic gases, and how do you know you've collected them all? Um, we have, and I think we'll be seeing this in the next couple of days, um, pipes, and we have our gas flare, which has got what we call a blower, which is actually like, it's almost like a vacuum cleaner. It's supplying vacuum. It's sucking the gas from all of the wells we have in the landfill. And we have about 50 of these wells that go down through the waste. They've got perforated pipes, pipes with holes in them. So we're sucking the gas out of the landfill, out of the rubbish pile, and over to our flare. 
We also measure the flow rates. We're measuring the amount of gas we're extracting and how much we destroy. Uh, we actually have to report those numbers now to, to the government as part of the ETS, the Emissions Trading Scheme. Um, so we know exactly how much gas we're extracting. Uh, I guess if we weren't extracting it well, we would smell it. Um, we would start to smell the gas coming out of the ground, which smells sulfurous, a little bit like Rotorua. Okay, um, Buckland School, Kia Buckland School, can you please explain what is leachate? Okay, leachate is usually the liquid that um, is released as organic material decomposes within the landfill. Um, a good example of this might be if dad is, or mum, is out mowing the lawn and puts the grass clippings over in the corner of your section. Some of you may have seen this. In fact, some of you might be mowing the lawns. You put grass clippings over in the corner of your section and leave them there for more than three or four days and go back and dig it up or, or move the grass clippings. Two things you'll see. It's given off the gas. You can't smell it or see it, but you'll see the volume of the, the grass pile actually starts reducing. And if you scrape it off and look underneath the bottom of the pot, you'll see brown, generally brown liquid. So the leachate is the liquid that is released during the decomposition process. And it's natural. It ends up back in the soils and ground as all plants decompose anyway. Um, we also get a little bit of rainfall that contributes to the leachate in the landfill. And of course, there will be other liquids in some of the waste, but not a lot. Most of the waste we get here is pretty dry. All right, thanks for that. Another question here, what would happen if there was a breach or a break in the liner? Well, that would not be very good. <laughs> um, we'll talk a little later about the liner system here. Um, I mentioned about the geology, the soils beneath Cape Valley. They are very impermeable. In other words, uh, it would take hundreds and hundreds of years for liquid to actually soak through more than a few metres of the, the soil anyway. However, uh, we and Trans Waste have designed this landfill with a plastic liner as well on top of that soil. It's completely watertight. It's inspected when it's laid and welded into place to make sure it doesn't leak. And um, we are always testing the water around the outside lamp. We have a number of wells in the, in the ground around the outside of the lamp. So we're always sampling that and making sure that we're not seeing any escape of leachate. I'm just looking here. So this is um, this is a picture on this brochure here of part of the liner, and um, and this is some of the materials. And and uh, so there's like, GCL. This is this is like um, it's got bentonite clay within cloth. Yep. Um, the main liner are the HDPE layers. Yeah. Two. So two of this and this this doesn't look like much but this stuff is tough like you know we're going to show you just how tough this is later so it's hdpe which is which is high density polyethylene you look that up it's an amazing material so it's pretty much indestructible it's made not to break so um yeah don't mention it again so Andrew and uh, Rangi, we've been, um, I'll just say everybody who's enrolled in the field trip uh, will be getting um, a, a sample of that in the mail. We're organising that today. So there's, um, if, if 
all the classes are here enrolled. Look out for that in the mail. And, um, you know, once you've seen Andrew's video on how hard he'll have to try to pierce it or hurt it, you might like to have a go yourselves. But good luck with that. Thanks, Barry. Kia, 2019. What happens if the toxic gas does escape? It's from Joel. Um, we would be in trouble, <laughs> is the short answer. Look, we are 99.9% uh, .9 sure that um, we will always capture the gas in the landfill. I mentioned earlier on that we have to report all of our figures and all of the data to uh, the government, to the Ministry for the Environment. Um, the systems we have in place are pretty much guarantee we will never let the gas escape into the air. Um, this is the way modern landfills are built. Um, the little dumps I spoke of right at the start of this um, session, 50 odd uh, dumps and landfills around Canterbury that we've replaced, never had any gas capture at all. So, you know, it's been going on for years and there are probably still a lot of older uh, landfills around the world that um, don't even try to capture the gas. Mm. We have really good systems for um, capturing it. Um, and I'm confident we'll never uh, let any significant amounts of it get away. Uh, question here, how many metres high and wide is the landfill now? Oh, at its deepest point, the waste is about 55 to 60 metres deep at the moment, and we're about 400 metres wide and five to 600 metres long. So we're, we're slowly building up a stack. It's not uh, a big cube, it's, we're sort of placing waste on top of each other uh, as we go. Uh, the liner system will always be there beneath the landfill, so nothing escapes into the environment. So at its deepest currently, we're about um, 50 to 60 metres. Thanks for that. Can you give examples, this is from Grace Buckland School, can you give examples of toxic waste that you don't accept? Ooh, um, there are different waste streams. One I can think of straight off is what they call cytotoxic waste. Um, cytotoxic waste is stuff, is waste material that comes from hospitals and is, is used during um, x-ray and radiotherapy um, for the likes of people who have, are ill with cancer. Some of those chemicals, cytotox, cytotoxic wastes, are very hazardous. Um, it, they are collected up separately and my um, understanding is that they are packaged up securely and most of that waste in New Zealand gets shipped off to France. It's not a very, not a lot of waste. Uh, it's shipped off to France where it is incinerated. Um, it's a much safer way of disposing of those very dangerous materials. There are a few other things, uh, chemicals and waste that have chemicals in them that we can't take at Cape Valley here. So they get similarly packaged up and sent elsewhere in the world for, for proper disposal. Thanks, Grace. Michaela from Waitakere, when the landfill is full, will there be another landfill made? Uh, that's possible. Depends how well uh, we all behave and how well we start reducing our waste. Um, I'd like to say that um, we would have zero waste in, what is it, 20, 23, 24 years when Cape Valley is full. But I suspect we still will. What I think will happen, though, with time is that our waste, the, the amount of waste that we make um, in our societies will start reducing. Um, 
we haven't thought about where another landfill might be at this stage, but it is possible. Um, it all comes down to how well we start um, reducing our waste volumes. So thanks, Michaela. Um, what next? So we've just got a few more questions here. We'll just have time for What is the methane gas used for? At Cape Valley, methane is a highly flammable gas. So we extract it um, about 55%, between 50 and 60%, about, but normally around 55% of the gas we are sucking out of the landfill is methane. And we pump that methane into our big um, generators. So the generators have what we call internal combustion engines, similar to what are in your cars, but much, much bigger. Mm -hmm. And the methane is used like petrol, like petrol and diesel in your cars. It's used to fuel those engines. Those engines drive generators that generate electricity, and we put that electricity back into the national grid. So we're pushing that power back out to the um, for us all to use out there. And Sarita just wants to know where you get all the soil from. It's a good question that goes on top of rubbish. Yeah, that, that is a really good question. Some of the other landfills around the country often have to import soil. So uh, if there are big um, earthworks projects going on in the cities, they'll often want to dispose of soils and they'll send those to the landfill and they use it to cover the, the waste up. Here at Cape Valley, we are fortunate we don't have to do that because part of the design of Cape Valley was that we get all of the soils from around, immediately around the landfill. So we have designed this landfill um, on the basis that we, we dig our soils out from within the valley to create the cells and put the liner down, and also from just the hillsides around the landfill. There's a question here. Um, what kinds of machines are used at Cape Valley? If you go to the website, uh, there's a background page called Innovation at Cape Valley, and that talks about um, the machinery that's used to transport the waste and the machines that are used to compact the waste and do the daily cover as well. So check that out. Um, and probably our last question, is there a limit to how big a landfill can get? And that's from Lily at Waitakere. Hi, Lily. Um, yes, there is. Um, our landfill is designed to make sure that it is safe from an engineering perspective, that it's not going to collapse and spill rubbish everywhere. So we use engineers, um, engineering consulting companies to make sure that it is designed to be secure and safe. Um, um, our landfill will have a total capacity of about 12 million tonnes of waste by 2040, uh, and it is placed in such a way that um, it will never never be able to escape. Um, even in a really significant earthquake, um, Cape Valley has been designed to be able to contain the waste and not let it um, get into the environment. So just uh, about that, it, the topography or the hills and valley, the size, the shape of the land will determine how big also the landfill can get. Good points, Barry. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Cape Valley was really good. It, as the name says, it was a valley, so it, it provided a nice base in, in which to, to start the construction and lay the liner as well. Uh, a lot easier than trying to lay it on a big flat plain like out on the Canterbury Plains, of course. So you have some natural containment from the, the topography, from the geography. 
Right, well, we've left with just three. We started with a few. They've been slowly dropping off, which is fine. We've um, gone on a bit, but it's been great that we could answer the rest of your questions. Thanks so much for your interest. Thanks for sticking around to the end, guys. And uh, once again, thank you to our speaking school by Takari and Tirangi for answering the questions. Barry's going to unmute you all now to say a big kaki te ano, and you guys have a great day, eh? Thank you. 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 Thank you.